listening to Humanize Me with Bart Campolo. Well, hey there, everybody, and welcome back to the show. It's a Q&A today, which means it's me and John Wright. Hey. Hey, John. How are you doing? Are you surviving lockdown? Obviously. I feel like everybody asks that question that same exact way, too. <laughs> <laughs> How are you doing? Are you surviving lockdown? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, I mean, it's this is such a strange moment, and it almost is boring to keep saying this is such a strange moment. Right. But it is. That constant word, unprecedented. Yes, <laughs> you hear that a lot. <laughs> that word is precedented. Right. Um, <laughs> but uh, I'm, I'm, I'm doing well. I have a lot of built-in natural advantages in this situation that I'm – very aware of. Mm-hmm. Um, Good family relationships. Yeah, easy family. I have, uh, we have Maya, who is 15 months and blissfully unaware that there's right. anything different in the world and mm-hmm. who is constantly growing and learning and new and fresh. And so, you know, everyone's saying, gosh, there's nothing new. Like every day is the same. And you go, yeah, not when you have a 15-month-old. Every day, every day is a little bit different. Right. And I was going to say, that's probably a little contagious, right? Her her attitude and her, uh, her uh, experience right now. Yes, yeah, certainly. Certainly when it comes to sitting around the dinner table, like after she's gone to bed and the four of us might be sitting around having dinner together. What do you talk about that's new? Where did you go today? Who did you see today? Like there's not as much new as there is in normal life. But with Maya, there's, we talk about her for a half an hour. Did you, she touched this, she picked that up. Did you see the way she (laughs) laughed at that? Um, Right. And so it, that does in some sense help. Yeah. Um, not in some sense, in a very real way, it helps. Um, but the, you know, the other thing is like, I'm sheltering in place in a nice house with plenty of space. I'm upstairs working. Marty's downstairs. Right. Uh, you know, you just. Plus you, you have that big bunker of food. <laughs> I, I do have in a the lot basement. of food in the basement. <laughs> um, yeah. We, let's not go there. We're not going to go into my, my, <laughs> my prepper light ways because you, you know, that can get us into trouble. Um, but no, I, I feel like I'm doing fine, but I'm very aware that there are people fraying around the edges all around, you know, all around the world. I think that's a good way to put it. I mean, I, I've, I've noticed that too. The, the word that people have been saying to me over the last, I'm, I'm just the last three days has been the word unraveling. Like a few people have said that to me. Because they're unraveling or because they're seeing other people unravel? Because they feel like they are. Wow. Yeah. Not a good what, feeling. What, and what does, that, what does that look like? Like when they say they're unraveling, does it mean that they're not able to get out of bed? Does it mean they're angry? What, what, what do they mean by unraveling? Yeah, I think- They're believing craziness? I think struggling with uh, the feeling that the feeling of being trapped, I suppose, the feeling of not knowing uncertainty, anxiety, 
uh, and maybe being flooded by those emotions sometimes in a way that they feel like they can't control. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I was with a friend who was unraveling recently and mm -hmm. sort of was very open about it. And it was much more about where his mind was going rather than about his circumstances being particularly dire or is the inner state. It was the inner state. It was yeah. all about what he was worried about in the future and think, you know, Marty has talked to me about her, her default is to inhabit other people's experiences. So if she reads or is told about somebody on the other side of the world that is suffering, she goes there in her mm -hmm. mind and it can be very upsetting for her. So she feels that like it takes mental energy for her not to go there. And right. I'm just the opposite. Mm. I can go there in, in, a, in an awful way. I remember Ryan Reynolds made this movie that I never saw. Um, I think it was called Buried, where he is some yuppie guy who gets kidnapped and put in a coffin-like box buried underground. And he has like a cell phone with a dying battery. And the whole, it's this claustrophobic thing. Oh my gosh. I just have to, like if I'm laying in bed and I just imagine myself being there, I can get very upset. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I can, I can spin out. So like, I just go like, okay, so like, I'm just imagining there's something itching my nose. And then all of a sudden there actually is something itching my nose and I can't move my hand right, up right, there. Right. And I, and, and, and pretty soon I'm, 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 I'm in real bad shape. You can put, put yourself into sort of a suggestible thing. Yeah. But yeah. I don't like that. That is a default that is an, an act of will for me to go there. Mm -hmm. In general, I hear about things and I go like, wow, that's too bad. But I, I am blissfully able to be present where I am and to recognize that if there's nothing I can do to be helpful to a person, mm -hmm. it does not do me good to inhabit that space. Right. You, you've learned probably over a long time not uh, to compartmentalize. That's a good word. Yeah. yeah. And, and you know, it's, it's interesting because I, I read that book um, and I'm going to forget who wrote it against empathy. Did you, mm. did you, did you hear that? No, book? I didn't read it. Oh yeah. It was, it was a guy writing and saying like, we, we, you know, Brene Brown, all these people are out there, empathy, empathy, empathy. He's like, empathy is not always a good thing. Um, and, and, and he, and he draws all these cases uh, Paul, in which Paul Bloom. Yeah. Yeah. He says, yeah. He says, listen, you know, when you're making public policy, you don't want to, you don't want to be able to identify with that one guy, that one coal miner in West Virginia who's losing his job mm -hmm. and go like, well, we've got to do something for that guy. You know, you, you want to make public policy that makes sense for the greater, the, the, the greater good. Right, right. And if you get too focused on individuals. You'll, you'll also make public policy that really helps make sure that no little girl falls down a well again. <laughs> because remember when she did and we were all so upset and you might not make public policy that keeps people in prison from 
you know, failing to get mental health care because they don't appeal to your, right. They, they don't have as good a narrative, but like, mm-hmm. it's actually a much bigger problem. Yeah. Yeah. I could see that. So anyway, all of that to say that I think for some of the people that are unraveling right now, it may have to do with as, as much with their, their temperament as it is with anything else. Like, like how are you, why, how do you process information? Because we're getting a whole bunch of different information and you might've been good with hearing this number of sad person stories per day, but now you're, you're, you're just hearing too many. Yeah. Yeah. You know, one of the things that I worry about in myself sometimes is lack, what I perceive to be lack of resilience. Like I, I feel like I'm probably not all that resilient. Like when, you know, when it hits the fan, I'm not going to be ready kind of thing, or I'm not going to be able to handle it. Yeah. There's no evidence for this, by the way, at all. Like it's just a thought. But, um, I think one of the things Laurie Santos, uh, said the Yale professor who did the happiness course is that typically people are much more resilient than they give themselves credit for. So it's not an uncommon thought. That I'm surprised by that. I thought everybody thought they were above average. It's not true. Maybe I got that wrong, but that, but I was listening to, she, she's been putting out some of these podcasts. I think lately you should check where, it out. I think maybe what she's going to say is, yeah, everybody thinks they're more resilient than they are and you're all going to die. <laughs> I could do that. I should, no, I should check that out real quick, actually. Well, and, and, and the other thing is what I'm realizing more and more is that early on in this thing, I was trying to predict what the impact would be on the economy, this country, our politics, the future, how we're going to raise our kids. I was trying to think ahead mm-hmm. and prepare myself. And what I've realized is there's so many variables going on out there that it's almost impossible to have any real confidence in a prediction. Um, and what's more is I don't think we're going to know how things are going to be for, for a while. And, and what I realized for myself was, is that I was postponing figuring out how to live in this present reality. Because mm-hmm. I was like, ah, this is just temporary. Like what I got to figure out is what's coming and I got to be ready for that. Yes. And I'm right. realizing that that is not good stewardship of my energy and my resources and my mental bandwidth that I really am spending much more time now trying to think about how to live right now. Right. And so, and, and that's been helpful. Um, to me at least, I hope it's, I hope it ultimately proves helpful to the people that are in relationship with me that I, that I am more present oriented. Right. Right. So, this uh, is so, I, so I, 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 I just, I just, I just looked it up that the, what she was talking about was hedonic adaptation, um, which, which is our ability to adapt to new situations essentially. So, uh, the, the usually people okay. take it. Uh, take a negative uh, thing out of that because a negative conclusion out of it because they say like, you know, if you win the lottery, uh, so something really good happens to you, you win a million dollars. It doesn't change your life that much. It doesn't change your life that much because you adapt. It's called hedonic adaptation. uh, It does change your life, but you're no happier. Right, right. That's right. 
Um, but there's actually a positive um, conclusion from hedonic adaptation too, which is that if something really bad happens to you and you think it'll just you know ruin the rest of your life, it probably won't. Hedonic adaptation suggests that you know you're going to go back to your previous level of happiness and you're more resilient than you think. Yeah, which is just more de- it's more dependent on your temperament. Um, right. Than anything right. else. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's good. Yeah. That's good. So there All right, go. Listen, I, I know, I know this is supposedly a Q and a, we haven't done any Q's or any A's and we're 14 minutes in. Uh, <laughs> we better get on with it, man. Before we go any further, we got a few people to thank and, it, okay. and, and big, big thanks. Um, okay. and these are new Patreon people, um, new people that are actually financially supporting the podcast, enabling us to keep doing it, uh, making it good for everybody else. And so Bill Finley, this is a longtime listener, a guy who writes, has written emails for a long time, all of a sudden shows up as a big monthly sponsor. Thank you, Bill. Awesome. You know I like you. Mark Allen. And you might say, wait, Mark Allen was always a, a sponsor of our show. And that's true. But like in this moment, he quadrupled his, uh, his, 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 his amount. He stepped, you know, he, he's like, this is more important than it used to be. It's amazing. And that's super encouraging. Thank you, Mark. And um, I'm going to, I'm going to butcher this last name. Hopefully not. Joel Van Galen. I think it's Van Galen. So glad to have you with us. Thank you so much. Um, and, you know, last week we thanked Nathan Asleeson for his wonderful email about, about, you know, sort of feedback from, from the last few episodes. I, I didn't notice that he also decided to sponsor the podcast. Nathan, thank you. And last, but absolutely not least, is another person who wrote a few weeks ago, and then also sponsored the podcast. Her name is Michaela Ron. And Michaela is actually somebody I did not, I, you don't meet many Michaelas. No. And I always, in my mind, spell it a different way than she does. So when I saw this name on our list, I didn't realize it was that Michaela, a woman who I, I, I knew or I got to meet when I lived in LA, she, she was up in Pasadena and Marty and I knew her through the work that Marty does with homeless people. And I, we, we had dinner with her and it was one of the most sort of stimulating fun. It was one of those LA dinners where you're like, Oh my gosh, there's so many interesting people here. Um, and I just, I'm just so thrilled to have you with us, Michaela. So thank you too. Yeah. Um, it's, yeah, it's just so fun to sort of old home week in some ways. So anyway, thanks to all of you. If you, if you're interested in supporting the show, even for a buck a month, it makes such a difference. Go to Patreon. All right. Now we can get back to our regularly scheduled programming. Let's do it. I mean, and these questions, they're, 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 they're in this moment kind of questions, right? They really are. And I've got, uh, I've got a couple of them. Are you ready for the first one? I'm ready. Okay. Hey, Bart, as I grew up, prayer was touted as the answer to everything. Sick? Pray. Tired? Pray. Need money? Pray. Depressed? Pray. Later on, this coupled with worship as the cure-all for everything. Sad? Put on some uplifting worship music. Need strength? Worship. 
Now with the shutdowns and loss associated with COVID-19 and doubting very much that there is a benevolent God who's waiting for me to cast all my cares upon him, I don't see any value to prayer and I'm totally turned off of the very idea of worship. I hear what you say about calming the mind through meditation and using affirmations instead of prayer, but I still miss the feeling I had when I could, quote, give it all to Jesus. I suppose this is part of taking back control of my own life and not depending on a higher all-knowing power to save me all the time, but I still feel like I've lost something very powerful, if only in my own mind. Any ideas of how to move beyond this? Is it just a grieving process that I need to go through? And this was from Jonathan. Wow. Okay, Jonathan, that is a really good question. And I'm so glad that he stuck in there that he's like, I've, I've heard what you have to say about secular prayer. Because, mm-hmm. you know, we've done whole episodes about prayer and what, what sort of right. the secular counterparts are. And it's not just all about meditation and calmness and, you know, present be, being present. It's also about imagination and, use, you know, hope and articulating hopes. And so like, I'm not going to, I'm not going to belabor all that. Cause that's not really what he's asking. He's like, I know all mm-hmm. that. Yeah. But he's like, but man, wasn't it cool when you could cast your cares upon Jesus? <laughs> yeah. You and it's what? interesting the way he says it, Bart, um, just to point this out, he says, doubting very much now that there is a benevolent God. In other words, he's not completely lost faith. It's just that he very much doubts that there's such a thing, which I presume is why he's one of our crowd, one of the audience. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and, 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 you know, he says on the one hand, doubting very much. And then he says, I don't see any value to prayer. Um, right, right. Which is funny because I think for a lot of people that lose their faith, that go through that deconversion, that's, that's a, a specific stage where you're not sure if there's a God, but you're real sure that if there is, he doesn't do anything. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> you know, he's, he's impotent or uninterested or so abstract that, you know, he's not engaged in, you know, you know, he's not going to heal your friend of cancer or, you know, grow back your, your, your lost limb or, or, you know, feed all the ch- hungry children in Africa. And so you stop mm-hmm. praying in that way. Um, and it sounds like, you know, Jonathan has already reached the point where he's, I don't see any value to this. Yes. Um, and I'm totally turned off to the idea of worship, which by the way, if you have a God who doesn't, who can't deliver, Um, yeah, that does take the edge off of worship. (laughs) You know, it's, it's hard to fall on your knees and praise somebody who doesn't do anything. Right. I mean, you you know, it really, worship is kind of, uh, an activity that is reserved for those you revere or who the, or for those you fear. Um, and so, yeah, the, you know, that's, that's one of the things I found is, is that a lot of times when I'm with really progressive believers who have changed the word God to mean something equivalent to just like a general concept of niceness as like an abstract category of good. Um, the good news is, is that they're able to say, I still believe in God. The bad mm-hmm. news is, is that that kind of a belief doesn't inspire a whole lot of 
active connection. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so, 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 so Jonathan's actually, he, he's where a lot of people are. And that is at the point of, 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 of really missing the idea that there's somebody in charge. Yeah. And I, I wonder if it's connected a little bit to the conversation that happens in someone's mind with a God they believe to be there and listening and that conversation going away, um, f feeling suddenly more alone, um, less connected to that entity, you know? Yeah. Although I, I think, I think in this case, it seems like Jonathan's like, look, what it, bottle, what it boils down to is COVID-19 is going on. I'm in a pandemic. Mm -hmm. And I like the idea that I can give it to somebody else and say, this is in your hands. And, you know, and I mean, I've had that experience. Yeah, he's worried. With, he's worried I mean, about things. Right. I mean, I've had that experience with my car that like, I've got this problem with my car. I drive it into the shop. I say to the mechanic, it's going like this. He goes like, yeah, yeah, yeah. He said, I can figure it out for you. And I'm like, great, mm -hmm. great. All right, I'll be back tomorrow. Yeah, and yeah. I like the idea of transferring my burden onto somebody else. Right. And, and Jonathan's saying like, look, there was something very powerful about that. And, and they says, even if it was only in my mind, like even if there was nothing, nobody, re there, there was no other I still liked having a relationship with another that was that took care of things. Yeah. Yeah. And he says, you know, I think the, the real question is not, is that true? Like, am I right? Is there no one? But, but what do I do when I realize it? Is there any way to help move beyond the grief of it? Right. Um, and, and I think that grief is a good word. But I think that the other word that's that's really applicable here is, um, gosh, I wish I don't I don't have that other word. What, what I was thinking is is like, it's terrifying when you realize that there's nobody at the wheel. If you thought that there was somebody at the wheel, right. You know, specifically being able to give that, give those worries that you have to some, to, to someone that you thought was, ha, had got you, like they were looking after you. And somehow I, I feel like it, it must be the sort of being alone, you know, so, so almost like I'm alone with this now. <laughs> like I've got nowhere to put it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I remember my dad when my, when my grandmother died. And, and the last of his, you know, his uncles were, you know, everybody was gone above him in the generation ahead of him. And he just said, there's nobody above me anymore. You know, that there was this sense in which you could always look one generation ahead and say, well, what, what, what should I do here? Or, or they're, they're older than me, or they'll look out for me, or they're thinking about me. And, and all of a sudden you realize like, I'm it. There's nobody, there's nobody above me in the, in the chain, in the food chain. Um, and, and he, he told me that it was a really lonely, lonely feeling. Um, mm -hmm. I, I think, you know, sometimes, you know, to be the patriarch or the matriarch of a family, 
and to think, you know, who am I supposed to turn to for guidance or wisdom? And, and certainly sometimes younger people show up and they're helpful in that way, but there's this kind of responsibility that when it falls on you, you miss whoever had it before you got it. And I think yeah. that, I think that when the responsibility for your own destiny falls on you and you thought somebody else had it, whether it was a parent, whether it was a coach or a, or a mentor figure, or whether it was God almighty, but the idea of like, you're, you're responsible for your own life. That's, that's a lot to carry. Yeah. Um, so he, he asks if it's a, if it's a grieving process that he needs to go through, even if you didn't attach or reduce it to the word grieving, is it a process? Like is, is, is it a process that's sort of gradual and that maybe he's not quite where he'd want to be, but he's on that path? Maybe. I mean, I, it's funny. I, I always think of that. There's, you know, Robert Ingersoll, my hero, you know, one of his great quotes is, when I realized that there were no gods, like such a joy filled my soul. And I, you know, and I, you know, and he, he's, he's like, I was free. And I thought, gosh, it, it isn't that way for a lot of people. Right. Right. Um, it really no, is definitely not. I know people that ha that are going through something very similar to Jonathan, or did. You know, I'm not sure if it was something that just took them a, a while. Uh, but this is definitely one of those stages, like you were saying. Yeah. So I think it's a process for some people, but I also think it's a cycle for some people, where there are moments when you think, like, no, this is okay. It's okay. It's good that I'm responsible. It's good that I'm in charge. And then. a crisis of another magnitude hits. And I mean, what I'm interested in this COVID thing is, is that there were some of my friends who've already been through this because the global warming, climate change thing, mm -hmm. they go, oh, there's something going on and there's nobody, there's nobody stopping it. There's nobody in charge. Like the government doesn't know what they're doing. Like when they, you know, when you come to realize like our government doesn't know what it's doing. You know, you say, oh, they'll take care of it. And you're like, no, there's no they. I, I, I was reading, um, I just finished reading The Fifth Risk, which was uh, Michael Lewis's book, the guy who wrote Moneyball and The Big oh, right. Short. No, that's a, and this one is about like him a after Trump got elected, realizing that he, he had read all these reports that the Obama people had prepared briefings you know, in all the different departments of government, you know, the, 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 the agriculture and, and the commerce department and, 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 and education department um, uh, had prepared briefings for the people that would come and take their jobs because those are political appointments at the top. Mm -hmm. And the day after the election, nobody showed up. Trump's hmm. transition committee was virtually non-existent. And, and, and so nobody showed up. And and these guys realize like they're going to be taking over and, and, and they don't know what's doing. And the rest of the book is kind of about what government does and what happens when nobody or somebody who doesn't understand how it works takes over the, the, the reins. Um, and this is a pre-coronavirus pre, pre book, but it's a, it's a really bracing book in some ways. It's, yeah. it's entertainingly written and it makes you super appreciate like – 
the guy who works for the Coast Guard who figured out the computer program of how, how and where people drift when they fall off a, a, a ship. Because that's why right. searches are so much better now than they were 20 years ago. And that was a government program. Um, so it's, it's a very cool book about the nature of government. But the point I'm trying to make very poorly is, is that it's a terrifying moment when you realize the person in charge either doesn't exist or they're not in, or they're, or they're not any better than me. Right, right, right. I mean, it is, that is the feeling that some of us get when, when, when the president of the United States is babbling incoherently about cleaning products that might be really important things for us to test out. And you just go like, oh, that's our guy? Yeah, definitely. And But it also reminds me a little bit of just the psychological experience of realizing that your parents are not. Yeah. Because your parents, I mean, in early life, your parents do play that role very much, don't they? I mean, they're all knowing, they're all powerful, <laughs> they can fix everything, they can, they know everything. And it's like, you then you realize, oh, they're just like me. And then you start to see them make some moves in life. And you're like, you know, you go, oh, gee, they don't know what they're doing. And everyone goes through that a little bit. I guess it's a, a little bit like that, losing God. You know, it's, it's so interesting you should say that, that, that sort of disappointment. I, 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 Marty and I, we were sitting around in our backyard around a fire with, you know, 10 feet away from a couple that are, we're really good friends with. Mm -hmm. And he is having an incredibly tough time in this crisis. And part of it is temperament. Like, like, you know, it, it, this is hard on him. Yeah, he's you, a, you don't choose your temperament. He's a very social person and not being able to touch people and not being able to right. be with people the way he has been. I mean, we're finally starting to figure out that we can be together outside far apart and that's better than nothing yes. um, and better than Zoom. But uh, yeah, there are ways and means. But he had also, he, he, he lost his mom about a week and a half into this thing. And so, and, and that was a, and, and he lost his dad as a really young guy. And there's a lot of, there's a lot there, right? So he's just going through a lot, right? Right. And as you might expect, at his moment of real need, his friends and family are a little distracted. Mm -hmm. So what would normally have happened people coming by to visit and a funeral in which he gets to process and everybody hugs him and people being really aware of like, man, he's having a hard time. Everyone's right. like, I'm having a hard time. Like, oh my gosh, what are we going to do? Like, uh, yeah. And so, yeah. And so as he's reached out, he's like, he said, I text people and they don't text me back right away. Or he said, you know, he said, at some point I'm just thinking like, why doesn't somebody go like, fuck this virus. I'm going to hug him anyway. He needs a hug and, and reach across. And I'm sitting across the fire from him going like, <laughs> what he's saying is, Bart, come over here. Yeah. I was and actually, I, it's so funny when you talked about being at the at the fire, that was the first thought. I was like, man, it sounded like he needs a hug. <laughs> but exactly can't do it. it. And so yeah. he's just, and, 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 and he, he was saying like, I've been impatient with my wife. I've been, like, nobody's meeting my needs, right? Mm -hmm. And, and he just, he, he was, he was feeling like, he was feeling so disappointed with everybody. Right. And right, I think right, in right. some ways he was also feeling disappointed in the unfairness of the universe, hitting him with this at this moment. 100%. So his wife's sitting there 
And, you know, and this guy, like he, he gave up believing in God years ago and so did his wife. They are lovely, lovely humanists. Okay. Mm -hmm. But his wife says, I keep telling him, like, why are you so disappointed? People have a lot going on. Like you can't expect this out of people. And you realize her expectations of how things should go, how lucky you should be how much people should care for you, you know, how much you should be able to accomplish in this moment, all this stuff. She just has way lower expectations for the universe than he does. He sort of, like the universe is like treating him, like slapping him around, kicking him in the teeth. And he's going, what did I do to deserve this? This isn't fair. Like, you know, I should, why, I'm so disappointed. And she's getting the same treatment. And she's like, what, what would you expect? Right. Wow. And, and and the realization I had was all of a sudden in a moment, I just looked at him and I said, oh my gosh, you guys, neither of you believe in God, but you're in an interfaith marriage. You're, you're in an inter, because each of you, in the same way that sometimes two Christians have different visions of God and the one has a very judgmental God and the other who hate, you know, who's down on gay people and, and stuff. And the other has this kind of benevolent God loves everybody. Everybody's going to heaven, God. And I said, those two people are like, they're both Christians, but they're, they're not, they're, they're, they're not, not of the, the same type of faith. Yeah. No, they're not of the same type of faith. They're not, they're in different religions. Mm-hmm. And I was like, you guys are both secular humanists, but the universe that you inhabit, you see it completely differently. Wow. And you're, and I said, this is a really important thing. I said, because in an interfaith marriage, you have to, like, the first rule of an interfaith marriage is, 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 is if your intimacy depends on convincing the other person to change their mind, you're doomed. Because a lot of these, like, the, 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 I mean, all of our, all of our worldviews are models of the universe, right? They're all like, I think it works 100%. this way. I think, and, and, you know, as kind of, I forget which great scientist said it, but he said, all models are wrong. <laughs> yeah. Some are useful. Right. You know, right. Like, right. Right. Like, like Einstein. Just because it's not accurate doesn't mean it's not useful. Exactly. Like, you know, Copernicus's model of the universe was inaccurate, but it was way better. Right. Yes. And then, and then Einstein comes along and like, his is way better. Right. Mm-hmm. And, but it's not perfect and it doesn't, it doesn't, it didn't account for this or that or the other. And so models, and I'm like, you guys are both, you, you your models are both like they're wrong, but they're, but, but each of them works for you in a different way. But, but here's the thing, like when somebody has a different model of the universe than you are, you, your intimacy with them can't depend on you convincing them to see it the way you do. And, and she was like, oh my gosh, that's exactly what I've been doing. I keep saying, why are you seeing it this way? Why, why, you know, like, come on, like you're, you're expecting too much. And, and right, he's like, right. you know, why don't you understand this isn't fair? And, 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 and you start to realize like, oh, you have to do what interfaith people do. And that is become curious about the other person's world become a tourist in their world and say, how does this work? And why does that, why is that that way? And start to see the advantages and the disadvantages of it. And it's a super good analogy too, that you, that you have there uh, treating it like interfaith, like basically saying 
you know, how, how would you be an, an anthropologist or a tourist in another land where, with a, with a different, with a different, um, culture or faith? And wouldn't you be curious and ask questions and want to know how it works for them and what they believe and why, and rather than critical? Yeah. And, and, and a good visitor, even if they see things that they don't think are as good as their country back home, um, they're, they're gentle and careful about how they say that. And, and, mm-hmm. and, and they're much more likely to go like, but wait, this part of your world doesn't seem to line up with this part of your world rather than saying your whole thing makes no sense. Yeah. You know, you see, so, so you end up, the, the question is, can you make, can a, can a secular person help a Christian be a better Christian? And can a Christian help their secular spouse be a better humanist? And the answer is, I hope so, because otherwise their marriage is in deep, deep trouble. Mm. You know, you, 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 but, 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 but in this case, it's two secular people. But you realize that in a crisis like COVID-19, some people are losing faith in the universe or they feel betrayed by the universe. They thought that the world worked one way and, and sort of they didn't think that God was in control, but they thought there was order. Mm-hmm. Or maybe they trusted the government, you know, and all of a sudden they realize that the, the, the forces that they counted on or science, you know, whatever you counted on, like there are a lot of people that are disappointed and, and, and it's that experience that you talked about, like when you realize your parents don't have all the answers or, or that, they, that they have flaws and weaknesses, that there's this mm-hmm. grieving that you do where you go, oh, oh man, my model of the universe was not just wrong. Um, it, it was sort of tragically wrong. And mm-hmm. I got to come up with a new one. I got to, I, I got to, you know, my faith has been shattered. And, and the last thing you want to do when somebody's faith has been shattered is to dance a jig and say, see, uh-huh, I told you so. Right. You want to recognize that that is a terrible place to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yes, yeah, Jonathan, so, you do, you do, it is, it, grieving is a good word for it. Um, and, and, and you can lose something, even if something doesn't exist, like even if, even if there never was a God, the model that you had in your mind, it, it was, it, it worked for you. And, and when it stops working, there is a loss there, especially if you don't have a, a kind of a, a model that, that to replace it that works for you better. Mm-hmm. I mean, nihilism is a model. It's just it's just one that it's it's not a good one. Like, oh, if there is no God, there is no meaning. Then you know, nothing right. matters. Nothing counts. Nothing. Nothing. Nothing has any value. And you go like, yeah, you could go there. And you go like, well, I've got a new model. And they go, like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, you do. I don't like it very much, but it's a, no. it's a it's a model. And so, yeah, so, I'm, I'm wondering, Bart, if there's a, um, a a secular equivalent of giving it all to Jesus. Now, I I know, I mean, it may not be an optimal or or eventual landing place, but I wonder if there's a if there's a sort of a interim strategy of any kind. Are there friends you can lay things on, or do you know what I mean? I, I'm not. Yeah, but I'm not he's really he, sure. But he he's. I mean, I mean, sure. If if the problem is you lost your job. And you don't have any money. Instead mm-hmm. of praying, like you could, you know, you could lean on your 
humanist fellowship, you know, the group of friends that you've developed around you and sort of go like, hey, you guys. And then if they come through, you go like, oh my gosh, this is great. Like, it turns out that when God comes through for the Christians, it's really the other Christians that are coming through for them, you know, right. and we've yeah. got other people. And if we're, if we love each other and we, we, we committed to each other, we can come through and you go like, oh, this is great. You know, like in the interim. So he, yeah. But so, what, he, so he says he, he thinks he feels, feels like he lost something very powerful. What you're saying is the power is, is potentially still around in some forms. Well, it's at lower levels. Like you lose right. your job, that's great. Okay, there's a global pandemic and you don't and you want to believe that a million people aren't going to die in in aloneness, you know, secluded from their families. And you're like, your, your little humanist fellowship group, we can't deliver that one. Right. Or your job or that your job is gonna still be there in six months or whatever. Yeah, or yeah, that we're not gonna go through a terrible terrible depression. Like there are these things that are that are on a macro level, climate change, macro mm-hmm. level stuff that um, that f- that that feel and in many ways are outside of your control. And 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 so, I think that in this case, the answer is not how do I find someone else. You know, how do I find something else that I can put my faith in? that it's going to make everything all right. And the question is, how do I get used to the idea that the future is uncertain? Mm-hmm. And so that, that isn't a switch. That's a, it's not an on switch. It's an on ramp. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's why I say it's grief. Like when somebody dies, you can go through that bargaining stage where you're like, well, maybe, or, or when somebody's dying, you're like, maybe there'll be a cure and maybe this. And if, you know, if I do this, they'll do this and stuff like that. And then they die. And there comes a point where you go like, oh, there's no getting around this. They're gone. Right. I don't get them back. And then so you at and, one, and, yeah. and, and, so, and so I think that that's the same thing that Jonathan's going through. He's going like, hey, there's no getting around this. Nobody's mm-hmm. in charge. So, so at one level that, and then the usefulness of, of the other things that, the other tools that, that we have, like the th- things that he mentioned, like the meditation. Other, the, the sec- and, yeah, the, uh, uh, yeah. A secular spirituality, if you will. If you will. Yeah. yeah. And, and other, other tools like co- coping strategies and um, things like that. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, ultimately, if you wanted to liken it to being on a, like going out on a ship in a, in, in a journey, like your confidence is either in, I, I've checked the weather. I know there's nothing out there that can hurt me. So I, I feel confident getting in the sailboat and sailing away because it's calm seas ahead. I trust that. Mm-hmm. Um, then there's this thing that says like, you know, maybe what, what I do is I trust that there is an all powerful God that if there if if a storm comes up he will carry me through the storm there's no evidence of that but 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 I like I like the idea mm-hmm. and i think that the the only confidence that i know that you can get when you go out onto the high seas of life where there are surely going to be storms and there are surely dangers that you can't anticipate is you have to look to your boat and your crew and say have i done everything i can to build a strong and sturdy boat do I have a crew that knows how to work together and 
and, 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 and that's resourceful. And, and you say like, so I'm not, my trust is not going to be that I know what the weather is going to be. I know what's ahead, up ahead. My trust is that I've got, I've got a good crew and I've got a good boat. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I think that that's, that's the only security that you can have as you, as you, as you sort of sally forth in life, whether in this crisis or in any, in, at any time, is you sort of go like, listen, I, I, and, and, and that's where like meditation skills and uh, coping strategies that are healthy and community and all of those things are, that's you getting your boat ship shape. And it doesn't yeah. guarantee you're not going to get crushed. It just guarantees, it, it just means that, you know, there are some of these storms that could go either way and whether or not you're prepared is going to real, is going to make all the difference. And, and so you, you prepare as much as you can, but you're still going out with the secure in the knowledge mm-hmm. that there is no guarantee that everything works out. Okay. And if somebody says, well, that doesn't make me happy, then, 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 then probably you want to see if you can screw up some supernatural credulity and go back to believing in God. I, I want. I'll, I'd be curious to know if Jonathan is is on some level just asking if it's okay to feel to feel like he misses it. And with that in mind, I have a I have a second question that we could do real quick. That actually I think would help potentially be interested of interest to Jonathan too. Um, It's by Debbie. It says, hi, Bart. I've been listening with much enthusiasm to your show for a few years now, and I feel like the crisis I am having can only be directed at you. I've always been determinately agnostic, but enjoy attending church services of any faith as I find that that spiritual space is full of wisdom and peace. I have recently started to more deeply understand the saying, God is love as I heard a description of God being simply a term used to describe a perfect love, pure love, which is uninhibited by human issues or interaction. I have found much solace in this description and find that I now understand more deeply how to pray and find it useful in my own personal development to endeavor to achieve this perfect love. However, I am concerned as during this strange and surreal time, uh, she says, I work in a, in a hospital in the UK. I am finding myself more and more, quote, sucked in, unquote, to Christianity and have been attending church services regularly. I do not want to be Christian, <laughs> but I am finding much support and solace within their boundaries, and I can feel myself submitting to their ways. I would be happy, nay, honored for this question to be used on the podcast or for a counseling session with you. Much gratitude to you and your team, you and your team, Bart, uh, Debbie. Now, I feel like this is kind of related to what Jonathan oh, is gosh, asking. It's yeah, sort it's of the this, flip side. Yeah, it's the flip side. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he's bummed it's, about losing it. She's like, maybe uh, it's looking good, you know? <laughs> <laughs> well, okay, so I'm going to cop to a couple of things. During this time of of the COVID-19 crisis, I have like old um, church contacts, as I'm sure you do, who are posting stuff that is like, uh, you know, here's my church live stream or here's my here's my old pastor sitting with his wife in their house. And I just kind of, 
you know, I'm interested in those people and what they're doing. Uh, but I found myself like- You backslider, you backslider, you're, you're sneaking back in. I'm find, finding myself like listening to their music a little of bit course, and stuff like that. Yeah. Because I think it's just kind of like, uh, you know, it's like speaking the language of home. And so it is interesting what she's saying. And I, I, I bet this is a common thing. Oh, gosh, in our yes. Audience. It's comfort yeah. food, man. It's yeah. comfort food. Yeah. Yeah. No, like, I mean, and, and the thing is, is that it's, it's so interesting the way she describes herself because she's like, I've, I'm determinately agnostic. I don't, you know. Right. But, but I've, I've, I like it there. And I've always mm-hmm. liked it there. Like, like this isn't a new thing for her. She likes the music. She likes the, 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 the right. And and the thing she gloms onto is God is love. Like, you know, that kind of again that progressive thing where you go, okay, I'm not talking about a God who judges things or fixes things or does things. I'm just talking about like kind of a representation, a placeholder for love. Right. I'm not talking about a divine being, a personal being. I'm talking about love. But she goes like, once you characterize it that way, once you put it that way, she says, oh, prayer starts to make sense to me because I'm sort of thinking or praying or putting my hopes or my desires or my needs out there in kind of an atmosphere of love, right. kind of with love in mind. Like, okay, how do I think about this if I'm trying to be loving? How do I think mm-hmm. about this in light of the reality that love is the most powerful thing in the in, in my world? And you're like- yeah, that that sounds like secular prayer to me, you know, um, sort <laughs> yeah. of articulating your fondest and noblest thoughts and feelings in an atmosphere where you know what you're trying, what kind of person you're trying to become. Right. So, so, so then that happens. So, so she goes like, listen, if I, if I, if I use the right filters, I love this place. I love these people, <laughs> you know, and, mm-hmm. and, and, and the thing is, it's an organized group of love people so i bet you when they're together they're not just singing these songs but then they're hugging they're nice they're lovely you know if you get in trouble they want to come and help you move you know like they're, mm-hmm. they're good people i mean right. that's why that's why you and i loved you know we loved being christians yeah a lot of good people in there right mm-hmm. so then what happens is is that you know like it's like bait and switch like they get you with the love <laughs> And then they start talking about a God who actually does stuff. And, and like, she's immune to that until there's a pandemic. And then she's like, ooh. What an I mean, attra- she's on the front lines, it sounds like, of, yeah. of the pandemic. Yeah. What an attractive idea. What if there's somebody I can cast my, as Jonathan would say, that I can cast my burdens upon? What, mm-hmm. if, there's so, what if there's something that sort of promises me it's all going to be okay. Isn't it easier to work your ass off on the front lines and, and to risk yourself if, if you have some kind of a confidence that it's, it's all going to turn out okay? Yeah. And she's like, man, that's attractive. Mm-hmm. I like how she puts it. She she feels herself getting sucked in. And I love the double, there's a double exclamation point after I can feel myself submitting to their ways. <laughs> right, right. And the thing is their ways, a lot of their ways are really nice. Right, right. You know, and so if you, if you could just filter out the fact that you don't actually believe that people rise from the dead 
or that a you know a personal God has to kill his son in order to release people from the burden of their sin. Or if you know if you can you know if you can let go of the fact that you're not sure that there is such a thing as like an eternal utopia where nobody has any problems and there's no conflict. Mm-hmm. Um, Christianity is really cool. You know, I mean, and the last Christianity I was, you know, I believed in, you know, my, the last God I believed in, the last sort of Christian um, polity that I was a part of, there wasn't a lot to disagree with there. I liked it. No, it's not that you disagreed with it. It's that you concluded that it wasn't true. Yeah. Couldn't find any evidence. That um, whole idea of uh, something having to be true, it's a real bummer. Yeah, there's the problem, <laughs> Debbie. There's the, there's the rub. And, and, you know, I I think what I would say to her is pay attention because these Christian people, the difference between them and you is they have that credulity or they've been able to muster it up. They're, They're able to kind of filter out some evidence or filter out some experiences and go like, you know what, I'm going to hold on to this. I believe this. And Mm -hmm. if you believe it, it's like, if you believe it, it can work for you. Right. And the problem is no matter how much you're attracted to them, if at the core, you don't really believe it to be true, over time, it's going to be, it's, it's going to be, it's, it's going to be problematic. It's going to be toxic. There's that, that cognitive dissonance is really hard to live with and it will, and it will come up and bite you at the most inopportune moment. Like when yeah, your mother. Yeah, I think that's a hard path. Yeah. Like when your mother dies or, you know, and, and, right. and all of a sudden you're going to like, people are going to say things to you about where she is and what's happening. You're like, wait, I don't really believe any of that. And then all of a sudden you find that like you're at the wrong party with the wrong crowd of people and nobody can say anything that makes any sense to you. And so what I would say, Debbie, is pay attention to why, what it is about Christianity that's drawing you in and ask yourself if you can find that or, or build that around your life among people. Are there other people that are committed to love that won't, that won't, re- that won't require to use that language? Can you develop some, can you find some other songs to sing, John? You know, can you find some other music that, that does it for you? Now, now for you, of course, like part of it is it's th- th- no, no, I, there's no other music that's going to do it for you. Cause like, that's the music that got grooved into you when you were an impressionable young person. Mm-hmm. It's your comfort food. And so, you know, for you and I, like I can turn on that music, go, I don't believe any of this and still like to listen to it. Mm-hmm. Um, and still be sort of inspired by it. It's funny. I watched this great, well, it's not, I, I don't want to say it's great. I watched this uh, TV series, uh, the first season uh-huh. of this TV series called Sex Education. Oh yeah. It's a good show. It's a total fantasy. Like high school kids are not like that. Sex is not like no, that. No, no, People, no. No, it's crazy. There's nothing in it that, that rings true at all. But no, you no. like everybody. Everybody, you, you're just rooting for everybody and there's beautiful stuff and there's, it's funny. But there's this one scene where there's this gay kid and he's flaming and he, and he, and he dresses flamboyantly and, he, and, and you, know, you know he's gay from, from Jump Street. And he's in this fundamentalist Christian African immigrant family in England. 
And as soon as you see his family, you're like, oh, I'm, they're, they're probably giving this kid hell. And it turns out that his, his family and his father in particular, they don't understand him, but they really love him and they really yeah. don't judge him. Right. And at one point when kind of his, he gets, he gets really let down by his friends at school. He's so despondent and they're on their way to church and they never make him go. And he says, I want to wait, I want to go. And he goes and he's not dressed in his flamboyant clothes. He's just dressed in t-shirt and jeans and, and he's there and everybody's singing and the, the gospel music's going and the preacher starts saying, he loves you. He loves you so much. He, he, he loves you. You, you, you want to love other people? You can't love other people until you love yourself. I'm telling you, love yourself. And, and you see this kid and he's just getting lifted up and he's going, oh my gosh, wait, this is great. And then the pastor comes over and he says, I haven't seen you here for a while. Listen, it's good to have you. This is your family, man. And you need to love yourself because we love you. And, and the kid, and, 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 and I'm thinking, oh, this is it. This is when he renounces his, his sexual identity and, and, and goes back to uh, church. Mm-hmm. Kid goes home from church with his family, runs upstairs, puts on a dress, puts on makeup, gets himself looking unbelievably fine, comes downstairs and says to his dad, I'm going to the school dance. Because he's in- internalized the message. You got to love yourself. And, and you can't, you're no good to anybody unless you, and he's like, I do love myself. Yes. And, uh, and, you know, and his father's like, wait, I'll drive you. <laughs> it's nice. so great. So and he, nice. And so beautiful. But like the, the, the point is like, there, there is this thing. There are these messages flying around in Christendom that are so wonderful. Mm-hmm. And the fact that they're, 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 they're attached to a narrative that, you know, in, you know, like I can't prove it's not true, but it sure doesn't look very likely. Um, it, that's in some cases, not always, but in some cases it's beside the point. And for you, John, it makes sense to me that you listen to some music like that. And then you, you're, you, you do some mental gymnastics to make it okay. And for Debbie, yeah, not, it, I'm yeah. not surprised that I'm not surprised that she wants to be there. Right. I'm right. sorry. I, I cut you off. What, you, what were you going to say? No, 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 no. I, I was just saying, I mean, for me, it's a very, you know, it's very easy. <laughs> it's a very casual, yeah. you know, I, I just, it's, it's almost like listening to um, Irish folk music or something. I don't yeah. hear a lot of it over here, but then I, I, I turn it on, you know, once every couple of weeks or once every month or something, you know, I'll hear something. I'll, it'll remind me of home. And it's kind of like that for me. Well, sometimes it reminds me of being 17. Oh Yeah. Yeah, and yeah, I, yeah, I, I you know, like, you know, it reminds me of, of, of being that, that into anything. And I, you know, I just. And, and I would say your mileage may vary in the sense of, you know, I think some people may be very capable of separating these things. Some people may need to need a break, yes. you know, honestly, and, and need to be, need to, need to have, um, what, what would you say? Like faith hygiene. Um, for a while, yeah. because, some people. Yeah. Some, my, my, I have a really close friend here in town, a wonderful woman who got worked over by Christianity, and it stole so many things and, mm. and pushed so much out of her. I didn't think it stole things; it stole time because her right. essential strength as a woman remained, and when she shed it, she's come back fierce as a lion, and she's she's such a fine person. Um, mm-hmm. but 
yeah, she she can't be going back there right now. And I don't know no. if she'll ever be able to go back there. Those songs are all triggers for her. They they th- th- that language is toxic for her. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. But for you, Debbie, for you, what I would say is, you know, is yeah, you're being sucked in. And if you can understand what where the where that appeal is, if you can break it down and dissect that appeal, you may be able to find some of those things elsewhere. And, and, and it'll be a lot more work because, you know, they, they don't have buildings with signs on them that tell you like, this is where you get the humanist love. And, they, you know, there, there, there aren't hotlines and humanist bookstores and all those things aren't in place the way they are with Christianity, where any, any city you go to, you can find your brand. But I'm here to tell you, Debbie, that it is absolutely possible to to find almost everything. The one thing you can't find, Debbie, is what Jonathan will tell you you can't find, is that once, once you realize that you can't believe in God, there's nobody who can promise you that they will make everything right in the end. That's it. That's all I got. Good stuff, Bart. All right, that was way too long a podcast, um, uh, you know. But there you go. You, you know, and, and I knew you had a third question. And yeah, so we'll we'll do that next. We'll time. do that later, um, right? I'll give you I'll, I'll give you a twenty second uh, summary of it. It's about antinatalism, which is the view, <laughs> which is the view that people that like um, Roger Federer and not and they don't like Rafael Nadal, <laughs> they're antinatalism. Right. That's so harsh. It's it's the it's the philosophical position and social movement attached to it that assigns a negative value to birth, not people, but having new people. And it's pretty interesting. And so I'll be curious what what you have to say about it next time. So in the midst of, in the midst of pandemic <laughs> flu, there are people going like, "Hey, we shouldn't have children." Right, and and I, I guess that's why it becomes um, especially. I mean, this is something that I think oh, people yeah. have been- No, that's going to th- be a yeah, good, for that'll a long be a good time, one. Yeah. Okay. All right. I think so. Good. All right. Well, listen, this was good, I hope. Um, thank you, Jonathan. Thank you, Debbie. Thank you, John. Thank you to everybody. This is a hard time for a lot of people. Um, and we will just keep trying to figure out how to make the most of it. Because ultimately, that's what we do. For more on BART, go to bartcampolo.org. If you like this podcast, please consider supporting it every month and get extra content for it. Go to patreon.com slash humanize me. Our patrons do make the show happen. Follow us at humanize me pod on Twitter and humanize me podcast on Instagram. You can also join other listeners on our private Facebook group. Just search humanize me on Facebook. To ask your own question on the show, leave it as a voicemail at 424-291-2092. That's 424-291-2092. And finally, please review us on iTunes. It really helps. Catch you next week. Humanize Me is a production of Jux Media. You could be larger than life.
可。